Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Once again, everybody, great to have you for another game here in the Throwback League. I'm Josh Lewin, and here we go. I know a lot of you have been waiting for the Big Red Machine as we have this little adventure that we're on right now, taking all the World Series teams that we can think of from 74 through 06, throwing some, uh, well, semifinalists in there, if you will, teams that lost the World Series, but the best teams that did that. We put them all in the tumbler, shake it out into a 48-team field. It's March Madness style, and here we go, checking things out. If you'd like to keep up on the league website, that's the throwbackleague.com. There are box scores available and the brackets, of course. If there were Vegas odds on this one today, this may well be the most lopsided matchup we've had so far, at least on paper. The home team, an absolute juggernaut, 108 and 54. That's the 1975 Cincinnati Reds. The road team, well, not quite as dominant. The 2006 Cardinals barely snuck into the playoffs at all. They went 83 and 78, but these are both World Series winners. The 75 Reds beat the Red Sox in a memorable seven-game series. The 06 Cardinals actually needed only five to dispatch the Tigers. This one pitting Tony La Russa against one of his mentors, Sparky Anderson. And let us start with the road team here at Riverfront Stadium on the banks of the Ohio River. A steamy, humid evening here with the city skyline behind us. Let's get rid of 75. Let's go to 06. The Cardinals. They've got a ballpark somewhat near a river themselves down in St. Louis. And in 06, they used that brand new home field to go 49 and 31 eventually getting to 16 games over 500 at one point. But a 12-17 and 17 September, that meant they had to hang on for dear life. They won that NL Central by only a game and a half, but they were in, and they faced the Padres in the division series. The pitching was the story there. Four-game series, they won it three games to one. Cardinals allowing six runs total, three by Chris Carpenter, three by Jeff Supon. The other eight pitchers in that series for St. Louis allowed nothing at all. On to the NLCS, they took down the favored Mets in seven. Yadi Molina, the big home run. Adam Wainwright freezing Carlos Beltran with that bases-loaded curveball, making Randy Flores the winner in relief. Molina actually two home runs in that NLCS, having hit just six the entire regular season. The World Series, that was a rematch of the 1968 World Series, a classic against the Tigers, but this one in 06, hardly a classic. The Tigers threw the ball around like they were allergic to it. The teams had already played in 06 back in June. The Tigers swept the Cardinals in Detroit, part of a, uh, what was an eight-game Cardinals losing streak at that time. But 
This time in October, the Tigers were maybe a little too well-rested. They had swept the A's while the Cardinals were grinding away against the Mets in that seven-game series. So the sloppy Tigers making eight errors in five games, five by pitchers. Game five ended up being the finale that was polished off by Wainwright, who threw not a curveball this time, but a slider to Brandon Inch, who swung and missed. And at St. Louis's own Joe Buck said on TV that night, for the first time since 1982, St. Louis has a winner. 06, the best 83-win team maybe in baseball history. Only four games above 500, they won a World Series. 12 big league teams had a better record than the Cardinals that year. We mentioned they nearly collapsed in September, but they quenched that longest drought in franchise history, 23 years without winning a World Series ever since they traded Keith Hernandez. Keith, uh, maybe a curse, I don't know. The, uh, the team had bolted out 58-42. and 42. That is 580 baseball. They played 400 ball the rest of the way. And, yep, they won a World Series. Around baseball, elsewhere in 06, oh, the Braves did not get in for the first time since 1990. Barry Bonds, despite the questions surrounding steroids and Balco and all of that, got past Babe Ruth for second on the all-time career home runs list. Couple slugging first baseman Justin Morneau and Ryan Howard were your MVPs. Brandon Webb and Johan Santana, your Cy Young. American League won the All-Star Game in Pittsburgh 3-2. Michael Young hit the two-RBI triple against Trevor Hoffman. Pop Culture 06, as you get out your iPod Nano. Uh, and let's see here. Whoops. If, if you drop it, watch out. If you bend over, ladies, we're going to see that whale tail going on with those, those thongs you're wearing here in 06. Or if you're a guy, I'm sure you're rocking the, uh, the Jason Mraz-style fedora. You're wearing your plastic wristbands, too, aren't you? Did you leave them on when you were going in to get that spray tan? You might have. Are you reading the Da Vinci Code? Are you making those Chuck Norris jokes? Wearing your Crocs? Are you aware of the Hannah Montana phenomenon? Disney's High School Musical, kind of a big deal. Some big breakups of celebrities this summer. Charlie Sheen and Denise Richards, Britney Spears and Kevin Federline. Paul McCartney and Heather Mills, Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown. But we were cool because on the radio, JT was bringing sexy back. The sensitive rock guys like James Blunt and Daniel Powder. They had your beautiful and bad day, respectively. Gnarls Barkley gave us crazy. Brianna, Beyonce, Christina Aguilera, and Fergie all doing their things. There's a lot of Kanye, Sean Paul, Ludacris, and oh my God, Fallout Boy. So much Fallout Boy in 2006. Let's fall out ourselves here. Let's get out of pop culture. Let's go to the lineups. Poor manager Tony LaRussa, the visiting 06 Cardinals, have David Eckstein leading off at short. Preston Wilson's in left. Albert Pujols at first. What a year for him. Jim Edmonds in center. Scott Rowland at third base. Juan Encarnacion in right. Then you've got Ronnie Belliard instead of Aaron Miles at second base in this one. Yadier Molina catching. Chris Carpenter pitching and batting number nine. All right. So that's the team with the red from St. Louis. We can now dig in on the big red machine from Cincinnati. The 108-win all-star speckled Sparky Anderson managed Cincinnati Reds. John Miller, our pregame analyst, he of Sunday Night Baseball fame, Hall of Famer. What do you have on these 75 Reds? Sparky Anderson, one of the great managers of all time and one of the earliest guys who understood about getting the most out of your players, number one, but also 
the relationship with the press, with the media. And I think he became a model for future managers, and this is how it's done. This is what the ball club needs from you. And he had a great group of talent, which he understood implicitly. Uh, he used to have a deal with Joe Morgan that he had signs for everybody, but never for Joe because he always said, and he, and he said this publicly, Joe knows... Uh, when we need a hit and run, Joe knows when we need a steal, uh, Joe knows when we need to play the infield in, and I just let Joe make all those uh, calls. Well, Joe kind of appreciated that, and everybody else in the team appreciated it too because they said, this guy understands who we are. So uh, uh, I always thought Sparky was one of the great motivators and it kind of gets lost. People said at the time, wow, Sparky is just a push-button manager. He's got it all. Just don't screw it up. And yet uh, the guys who were there realized that Sparky was a key and probably underappreciated, even though he's in the Hall of Fame, for what he brought to the table for those great Reds teams. Thank you, John. And we should point out that the Big Red Machine nickname basically referred to the Reds team of the entire decade of the 1970s. They won six NL West titles in that decade, four pennants, couple of World Series back-to-back. -back. They averaged 95 wins a year. And the core of that Reds team, they also had the best record in the majors on in 1981. But they didn't make the postseason because of that split-season format. The Big Red Machine nickname technically introduced to us, if, if you want to dive deep, 4th of July article 1969 by Bob Herzl in the Cincinnati Inquirer. But it really came to prominence in reference to the 1970 team that won 102 games and the National League pennant. Rookie and future Hall of Fame manager Sparky Anderson headed that team in 1970. And for GM Bob Hausam, they just did an amazing job. The 75 team featured the so-called Great Eight. Baseball's all-time hits leader, Pete Rose. He had three Hall of Famers in Bench, Perez, and Morgan. Six National League MVP selections, four NL home run leading seasons in there, three NL batting champions, 25 gold glove winning seasons, and 63 collective All-Star Game appearances when you looked at that lineup. That starting lineup of Bench, Rose, Morgan, Perez, Concepcion, Foster, Griffey, and Cesar Geronimo, those were the great eight, and they played 88 games together during the 75 and 76 seasons. You know how many of those they lost? 19. Dan Dreesen would eventually take over at first base for Tony Perez in 77. That's pretty much when that great eight started to get torn down. Although uh, some of the original players would depart, some extended Big Red Machine uh, nickname until basically Anderson and Rose left after 78. They were still called the Big Red Machine even when Tony Perez took off. But Ray Knight eventually replaced Pete Rose at third. That was in 79. A lot of the guys were still around, but uh, we mentioned that the last great run for that era, 81, they did have the best record in baseball. And by then, only three of the great eight were in the starting lineup. It was Foster, Griffey, and Concepcion. Bench had a very injury-plagued season that year, was actually moved from catcher to third base at times. The Big Red Machine's arch rival had to have been the Dodgers. Those teams often competed for the NL West Division title. They were first and second every year in that decade of the 70s, except for 71. Sparky Anderson once said, I don't think there's a rivalry like ours in either league. The Giants are supposed to be the Dodgers' natural rivals, but just wasn't that way in the 70s, really. That big red machine, you can, can make a case that the two Pennsylvania teams were rivals as well. All of the, uh, the Reds' four pennants in the 70s came against those teams. The Pirates in 70, 72, 75 beat the Phillies in the NLCS in 76. And, of course, in 79, Pete Rose 
would go to Philadelphia. But we'll keep it in 75 here and remind you, they were a very tough team to beat at Riverfront. They were 64 and 17 at home in 1975. It's a National League record. Won the NL West by 20 games over the Dodgers in 75, clinching the division basically when football was kicking off on September 7th. Joe Morgan, MVP of a, a quick three-game sweep of the Pirates in the NLCS, then on to the World Series, one of the great World Series of all time. And I want to take you through it if you'll indulge here. Pete Rose ended up being MVP of that one, had 10 hits. Game one, you had the aces, Louis Tiant and Don Gullett. They were scoreless until the seventh. Tiant actually led off with a single and would score the very first run of that game, a six-run explosion in that seventh inning. Tiant finished with a complete game five hitter against a team that had led everybody in runs during the regular season. On to game two, the Reds were on the brink of being down 2-0. They rallied in the ninth. Bill Lee had held the Reds to four hits and just a run through eight. But Johnny Bench led off the ninth with a double to right. Dick Drago came on. Bench was moved along on a ground up by Tony Perez. George Foster popped out, but Davey Concepcion, the clutch single up the middle. Denny Doyle fielded it behind second, had no play. And eventually, the Reds would win that game. Game three, that was probably the turning point, the crazy Ed Armbruster game. Red Sox rallying to tie it, eventually with two in the ninth. And the Reds won it after the, the controversial Armbruster colliding with Carlton Fisk play on a bunt. Yada, 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 Joe Morgan singles. Reds go up two games to one. Game four to the Red Sox, game five to the Reds, who went to Fenway up three games to two. Game six was that 12-inning classic, culminating with the walk-off homer by Carlton Fisk. The Reds would win the seventh and deciding game on the ninth inning single by Joe Morgan. The Bill Lee Epis pitch clubbed for a two-run homer by Tony Perez to set that up. All right, so elsewhere in baseball in 75, it wasn't all about the Reds. Fred Lynn was the American League MVP and Rookie of the Year, by the way. We mentioned Joe Morgan, the MVP in the National League. And the Rookie of the Year in the National League, that was John Montefusco, the pitcher for the Giants. And speaking of the count, John Montefusco, uh, on May 4th of 75, Giants beat the Astros in game one of a doubleheader at Candlestick. In the second inning of that game, that's when Bob Watson scored what's calculated as the one millionth run in Major League Baseball history. Milt May hit Montefusco's first pitch to drive in Watson, who basically sprinted around the bases to get in barely ahead of Davey Concepcion, who was rocking around the bases on a home run. He hit right around the same time. All the baseball was tracking that. It was kind of a weird little one-off. The Major League Baseball decided to do who would bank that millionth run. And in a very close call, it was Bob Watson instead of Concepcion. Pop Culture 75, let's go. Uh, well, as the baseball season began, the hit songs were My Eyes Adored You by Frankie Valli. There was some Lady Marmalade, Loving You by Minnie Ripperton, Blackwater by the Doobies, and uh, Hey Won't You Play Another Somebody Done Somebody Wrong song by B.J. Thomas, who used to sing the anthem at Texas Rangers games sometimes. Also in 75, what else for you? Uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest won the, the Big Five Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Actress, and Best Writing. Popular toys and tchotchkes were uh, Mood Rings, Pong, $6 million man action figures, Pet Rocks were out, Trackball. And uh, let's see, what else? Well, McLean Stevenson left MASH, which was not a good career move. That show got along just fine without him with the new CEO at the 4077. That would be Sherman T. Potter. 
All right. On the uh, very sticky night we have here at Riverfront Stadium, we are good to go. Just about symmetrical ballpark with AstroTurf instead of grass. Let's look at the starting lineup as Clay Kirby takes his warm-up throws out there on the mound. Pete Rose leading off. He's at third for Sparky. Joe Morgan, the MVP at second. Johnny Bench, the catcher. Foster's in left. Perez at first. Ken Grippy is in right field. We don't have to put Senior on there quite yet. Dave Concepcion at short. Cesar Geronimo, the center fielder. And yeah, Clay Kirby pitching and batting ninth for the Red Legs. 10-6, 4.72 ERA. Back of the rotation guy behind the lefties, Fred Norman and Don Gullett. Got the veteran righty, Jack Billingham, in there as well. Clay Kirby, not to be confused with Clay Carroll, who goes out of their bullpen, along with guys like Pedro Borbone and Raleigh Eastwick. Kirby's 27 years old. He's from the Washington, D.C. area originally. 75 Major League wins, but he's best remembered for one of his losses. July 21, 1970, Kirby on the mound for the Padres. Eight innings of no-hit ball against the Mets. Manager Preston Gomez removed him for a pinch hitter. He had given up, well, a run in the first inning and a walk and a couple stolen bases and an infield out. Padres were actually behind 1-0 with two out nobody on in the eighth inning. Kirby was due to bat. So, Cito Gaston was sent up to pinch hit. Gaston struck out. Mets tacked on some runs. Padres fans will never forget that. And as you look to what he did with the Reds, in 1975, it, very much to Clay Kirby's dismay, he didn't get into a single postseason game after the Reds won that National League pennant. We're going to write that wrong here today. Newspaper accounts had said that if the World Series of 75 went beyond five games, Clay Kirby would get a start against the Red Sox. It never happened, even though the series went seven. So here is Clay Kirby. He gets his shot against David Eckstein stepping in. Eckstein the World Series MVP of 06, and we'll say the same about Pete Rose for Cincinnati in the bottom of the inning, World Series MVP of 75. Diminutive right-hand batter hit 292 this year. Only 23 runs batted in in 500 at-bats. And the first pitch of this ballgame is high. It's ball one. Take a look at that Cincinnati defense here in the Queen City. Foster in left, Geronimo in center, Griffey in right. Rose at third, Concepcion at short, Morgan at second, Perez at first, Johnny Bench, of course, behind the plate. As the pitch gets fouled to the left side into those faded blue seats in the bottom tier of these three tiers at this stadium. Green seats in the middle level, actually a stripe of yellow above that in the luxury suites. And red, as you'd expect in the stadium's upper deck. Mentioned artificial turf here at Riverfront. And that's a big deal, because with all the speed and defensive wizardry that Bob Hausman's put together here, it's not just about the Reds' raw power. They use that AstroTurf to their advantage. Here's the 1-1. That sails high to Eckstein. Two balls, one strike. Eckstein only about 5'6", five 5'7". Foot five foot and here in Cincinnati, you can park across the river in Covington, Kentucky, walk across the Roebling Bridge, pretty much right into the stadium. Now the pitch to the righty, Eckstein. Swing, high fly ball left field will stay in the yard. George Foster is there, and he'll put it away. One out. Preston Wilson now for St. Louis. Another right-hand batter. 243 hitter, eight home runs. Mid-season acquisition for the Cardinals from Houston. 
Jim Edmonds missing time with a concussion, so the Cardinals decided to take a flyer on this veteran who's had some good seasons in Houston and Washington and Colorado, too. First pitch to him, fouled off and twisting towards the upper deck. Snagged by a fan in orange corduroys with a thick white belt. Tucked in, form-fitting, patterned shirt. Looks real fly under the stadium lights here in Cincinnati. So Clay Kirby ahead 0-1. And it's not like Kirby's a Cy Young candidate, but other than the recent expansion teams, remember only the Reds and Rangers have never had a Cy Young Award winner. For the Rangers, that includes their 10 years as the Washington Senators. For the Reds, it includes forever. Pitch here is high, 1-1. One one. I think the remarkable thing about Clay Kirby's 1975, 111 innings pitched, and he had 112 walks and strikeouts combined with more walks than strikeouts. So it was 54 to 48. So not even four strikeouts per nine innings for Kirby, who absolutely wants you to put it in play, let that great Cincinnati defense do the rest. Wilson, a decent outfielder himself. He takes high here. It's two and one. Of course, with the Cardinals, they have a history of great outfielders. From the Gas House Gang of the 30s to Musial and Slaughter in the 40s, Lou Brock, Kurt Flood in the 60s, and the Coleman and McGee days of the 80s. If Wilson can simply be Ray Lankford or Bernard Gilkey, that'll work out fine for these Cardinals for sure. Here's a pitch now. Swing at a fastball. It's grounded deep short. Backhanding Concepcion. He'll after turf hop that throw across and get him. The one bounce throw to Concepcion is perfected here at Riverfront. They came right up to the hip level of Tony Perez. They got Preston Wilson by a step. So two out now. And here's a dangerous, and I mean dangerous, Albert Pujols. How about a 331 batting average here in 06? 49 home runs. 137 runs batted in. Tony LaRusso raved about this guy all the way back in spring training of 01. And stunned everybody by having him on the roster opening day at the tender age of 20. Tony LaRusa does have an eye for talent. And Pujols now absolutely a superstar player. He takes a strike from Kirby at the knees, nothing in one. And Tony LaRusa knows something about being a young big league player, by the way. In the last hundred years, there have only been three 18-year-old shortstops to play in the big leagues. Robin Yount, Alex Rodriguez, and Tony LaRusa got in at 14 games with the A's in 64. Now, actually, one 16-year-old played briefly for the Brooklyn Dodgers at short during World War II. Non-war baseball. It's only Yount, A-Rod, and LaRusa. As the pitch flies outside, a one-on-one the count. No score here in the first inning. And Tony LaRusa eventually becoming a very successful manager. Didn't have much of a big league playing career. Was given his chance to manage in the bigs by Roland Hemond. Then the GM of the White Sox. Year and a half before that Hemond had assigned LaRusa to manage his first ever team at AA Knoxville, Tennessee. 14 players on a team called the Knox Sox went on in the big leagues including Harold Baines. Dave McKay, the first base coach. Renee Latchman down there at third for Tony LaRusa. 
As the pitch comes to Pujols, line drive, but caught it short. Davey Concepcion right there to pluck it out of the air, and the inning is over. Nice job by Clay Kirby early. No runs hits their errors, nobody left. We go to the bottom of the first inning. The 06 Cardinals did not score. Let's keep it in 06 and pause for this. Budweiser presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Really Bad Toupee Wearer. Mr. Really Bad Toupee Wearer. More than any neon sign or exploding scoreboard ever could, your chrome dome cover says, hey guys, look at me. What could you be thinking? You think it looks natural, but it couldn't look phonier if it had a chin strap. Look at you. Made of space-age fibers, it can repel anything. Rain, wind, snow, and especially young women. I don't think so. So crack open an ice cold Budweiser, Mr. Stud in a rug. Then crack open another for that thing on your head. I don't think it's all strange. As for something we can get into right now here in 2020. May we suggest you try out our good friends at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, the best, most perfectly blended coffee on either coast of the great USA. Since 1963, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world. With responsibly sourced ingredients, handcrafted coffees and teas, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf an experience like no other. And now for a limited time, we invite you to try their new Horchata Cold Brew Coffee or world-famous, world-famous, that is, Ice Blended. Chris Carpenter is on the mound for the 06 Cardinals. 31-year-old righty, 15-8 and in 06, 3.09 ERA. Pretty much leads the rotation, but also has Jason Marquis, Jeff Supon, Mark Mulder. Not exactly any Bob Gibsons in this group, but they, they did win a World Series. You know the amazing thing about Bob Gibson, by the way, since we brought him up? Starting in 68... His ERA jumped up a full run every year for three straight years, which sounds awful. But the end point was 3.1. He went from 1.12 to 2.18 to 3.1. Oh, no. 23-7 and seven in 1970 in another season of around 300 innings. Pitched three of those in a row. Anyway, for Carpenter, here's a guy who's blossomed under the tutelage of pitching coach Dave Duncan. Duncan, the former catcher who's been associated with seven different Cy Young Award winners. Coached up Bob Welch, Lamar Hoyt, Dennis Eckersley. As a player, he caught Vita Blue, Catfish Hunter, and Jim Palmer. A lot of time for Dave Duncan as part of that swinging A's dynasty in Oakland. Back then, he was the, the bushiest, most unkempt member of Charlie Finley's mustache gang. He looked like a, a refugee from a Grateful Dead concert. And speaking of the swing and A's, kind of, here's Pete Rose, who at this very stadium barreled over A's catcher Ray Fossey at the All-Star Game in 1970. That won the game for the National League, but it altered the course of Fossey's career. They don't call Pete Rose Charlie Hustle for nothing. Bowl haircutted switch hitter wearing number 14. He settles in from the left side against Carpenter now. Takes a strike on the outside edge, nothing in one. Here in 75, Pete Rose, a 317 hitter. Only seven homers, but 47 doubles. And talking about Rose as an aggressor on the base pass, Mets fans will recall he ignited that brawl against Bud Harrelson in the 73 NLCS at Shea. 
And the pitch coming in low, it's one and one. Breaking ball that time. Al Michaels was a Reds broadcaster in 73. He tells an amazing story about the, the game after that Bud Harrelson affair where Rose was a hero with a 12th inning home run. On the bus ride in the shade that afternoon with fans throwing rocks and eggs at the Reds team bus, holding up signs that said all kinds of unflattering things about one Peter Edward Rose. Michael says Rose got up, stood in the middle of the aisle on that bus and yelled to his uh, teammates. He said, do or die, boys. Do or bleeping die. And five hours later, the home run off Harry Parker to force a decisive fifth game. Pitch to Rose, a swing foul ball at the first baseline. It's one and two. After the game, Al Michaels said he asked Rose what he was thinking the moment he realized that ball off Harry Parker was gone. And he said, well, I was rounding first at Shea. And when you round first, you look directly into the visiting bullpen and left. And all I was thinking was, boy, Sparky better get Tom Hall up right now because the Mets have lefties with Staub and Milner coming up in the bottom of the inning. Isn't that something? On his way around first, that's what he's thinking. And for the record, Sparky Anderson went with his righty, Pedro Borbone, <laughs> who retired the side in order. No score first inning. And the pitch. Pete Rose swings in a deep drive left center field to the warning track up over the head of Jim Edmonds, bouncing against the wall. Edmonds will pick it up. He'll fling it back in. Pete Rose diving head first into second base. Helmet coming off his head. He's got himself a leadoff double. Well, that is vintage Pete Rose right there. And Jim Edmonds, a guy who can go and get it, too. That ball jumps up and over him. One hop the wall out there. And Rose now dusting himself off, getting ready at second base for Joe Morgan. MVP Joe Morgan, the lefty who hit 327 here in 75. 17 homers, 94 batted in, 67 steals, too. And the pitch to him from Carpenter ladled in for a strike. It's nothing in one. Mention Edmonds in center, Preston Wilson's in left, Juan Encarnacion in right. Roland at third, Eckstein at short, Belliard at second, Pujols at first, Yadi Molina doing the catching. Pitch coming, it is fouled right at the plate, nothing and two now to Joe Morgan. MVP in 75, will do it again in 76. The Reds in a run where five of six years will have the NL MVP, Steve Garvey interrupting that streak in 74. Now the white-haired Sparky Anderson clapping his hands in that dugout. Given the nickname Sparky by a minor league radio announcer in Fort Worth, Bill Hightower, back in the 1955 season. And not for nothing, the 55 Fort Worth Cats had five players who went on to manage in the majors. Dick Williams, Maury Wills, Danny Ozark, Norm Sherry on that team too. Runner at second, here's a pitch to Joe Morgan. A swing and a miss, strike three. Chase the breaking ball. Wow, that's unusual. Morgan in the regular season, 132 walks against only 52 strikeouts. But Chris Carpenter breaks off a terrific-looking curve and gets him. Runner at second, one out now. Here's Johnny Bench. 283 hitter, 28 home runs, a team leading 110 runs batted in. And ironically, there really is no bench for bench. Bill Plummer is bench's backup, but he hardly ever plays. 
Plummer did break up a Randy Jones no-hit bid in a game against the Padres here in 75, but that was pretty much the highlight. First pitch, breaking ball of beauty. Strike one called the bench. Huge blocky letters on the backs of those white jerseys for Cincinnati. Somehow the five letters of bench go nearly from armpit to armpit on the back of those jerseys. Thank goodness Jared Saltalamakia never caught for the, the mid-70s Reds. There's a swing and a foul by Bench up the first baseline. Nothing in two. You know, from 1970 through 76, the Reds would end up playing 38 postseason games, Bench catching in all of them. And during those games, the Reds stole 47 bases. They allowed two. Johnny Bench, one of the best defensive catchers of all time. Put him with Bill Dickey, Roy Campanella. Pitch on the way. Hey, swing and a miss. Strike three. Johnny Bench also up over a curveball. That terrific pitch early for Chris Carpenter. Two out. Rose still stuck there at second. And here's George Foster. 300 hitter right on the button. 23 home runs, 78 runs batted in. Foster brought in four years ago from San Francisco for Frank Duffy, one of the great trades the Reds have ever made. In six straight years, he'll lead the Reds in home runs starting next year. Foster in and waiting. Rose the lead from second. Now the pitch. Swing and a drive and a left. That's down for a base hit. Here comes Pete Rose around third. Throw coming in on one hop from Wilson. A collision at the plate. The ball comes loose. Pete Rose is safe. Reds take the lead 1-0. Well, you can block the plate here all you want to in 1975, and there's no penalty for slamming into a catcher. That happened right there. Yadier Molina, none the worse for the wear, though. He's a tough guy. All tattooed up. He shakes his head and spits and goes and gets his protective mask now. Pete Rose scoring as he blasts his way to home plate. George Foster with the RBI to make it one zip. And Rose just calmly taking a seat in the dugout next to the, to the trainer, Larry Starr. Tony Perez comes up with a 1-0 Cincinnati lead. Perez, 109 runs batted in this year. He hit 282. Cuban-American slugger, such a great RBI man. They call him Big Dog, Big Doggy, Doggy. The mayor of Riverfront. Seven-time All-Star and a 23-year playing career. Taking outside from Carpenter, 1-0. This guy truly the leader of this Cincinnati ball club. He'll eventually get dealt to Montreal. And from there, you know, he'll still hit home runs well into his 40s 10 years after that. In fact, he'll have a grand slam at the age of 44 against the Phillies. That's the team he'd also play for briefly and lead to the World Series, too. Carpenter in with the pitch. It's a strike. Knee high, one and one to Tony Perez. On deck is Ken Griffey, who we've got to mention is from Denora, Pennsylvania, same hometown as Cardinals great Stan Musial. 06 Cardinals on the road against the 75 Reds in this one. Foster takes his lead. Now the pitch. That's cut on. Hit in the air towards left. Should be playable it is. Preston Wilson right there. Puts it away. Side retired. But 
The 75 Reds take the lead. George Foster, the RBI single. 1-0 Cincinnati. The 1975 team on top at the end of one. And we keep it in 1975 to pause for this. Surf at Big Sur, pounding the rocks into the shape of dreams. The random energy of a Big Apple Saturday night. Iowa farmers harvesting the land near the smell of homemade bread. And when you're thirsty, the taste of an ice-cold Coca-Cola. If you stop and think for just a moment, you'll find we've got more of the good things in this country than anywhere else in the world. Have a Coke and start looking up. I know my own needs, and what I need from an automobile, I know I get from this new Cordova. I could ask for nothing beyond the quality of Cordova's workmanship, the tastefulness of its appearance. I request nothing beyond the thickly cushioned luxury of seats available even in soft Corinthian leather. Yet it is on the highway where Cordova best answers my demands. I have much more in this small Chrysler than great comfort at a most pleasant price. I have great confidence, for which there can be no price. In Cordova, I have what I need. one nothing, Cincinnati. We're going to move ahead to further action in just a moment, but thought you'd like to hear from one of the Cincinnati Reds who hardly played in 75. He had a great view of everything going on. Talking about the very talented, very fun to talk to, Doug Flynn. Doug was a backup infielder, a rookie, one of uh, just a handful of rookies on that 75 team that would come up and along. But what a seat he had. What a ride for that 75 Big Red machine. Here's the great Doug Flynn in his own words. 75 was an interesting year for a lot of reasons. One is I went to spring training with absolutely no chance to make the ball club, but I had a great spring. But walking around the locker room and seeing just phenomenal talent. But there was a lot of pressure on that team in 75 because in 1970, they got beat by Baltimore. 72, they get beat by Oakland. 73, the Mets beat them. And uh, they don't even get to the World Series. So they were almost being labeled as the best team to never win it, sort of like Mickelson was before he won the Masters. So there was an um, immense amount of pressure. But it was such a great ride because being with those guys was like being around a bunch of rock stars. Everywhere you went, you had big crowds. You had people following the buses. It was just fun to kind of take it all in. And we had a few rookies on the team that year. and We were kind of like, uh, well, I, I guess I was probably the youngest. McEnany was there. Raleigh Eastwick was there. We'd all played in the minor leagues together. And so – we, we really hung out a little bit, but we got great encouragement from the guys that were the superstars, but also the bench people like the Daryl Chaney's and the Bill Plumbers. And they kind of taught us what our role was going to be. George Scherger was actually our coach for the extra guys. And George Foster, before he got into the lineup, was a part of our little group. And we were affectionately known as the turds. 
you had the great eight and then the turns. But when Pete came into third, of course, they moved George out to left field, and we really took off after that. Actually, we were playing the Mets, and that was the first game where we really started on the streak of 41 to, out of 50 games we won. But it was just – it was fabulous all the way up, and then, of course, the Great World Series with Boston. And uh, there were so many funny stories. We came into Boston, and I remember the weather was really bad. We had a couple of days off. Well, shoot, us young guys, we only had a sport coat and a pair of pants. We were washing our clothes out in the hotel room and turning on the shower so that the heat would help take the wrinkles out. So, you know, it's that. And then uh, winning, uh, one of the, my favorite memories, though, is after we get beat in the sixth game, uh, Pete Rose was being interviewed. My locker was next to his. And the guy says, Pete, you got to be devastated. You had your, you had it all. This is what the big red machine needed. This was going to be part of your legacy. You all had done everything you could except win a World Series, and you had it, and you let it go. And he said, you got to be devastated. And in typical Pete Rose fashion, he said, devastated? Are you kidding me? That tomorrow night we get the seventh game of the World Series. We'll be the only game in town. There will be millions of people watching. Every kid that ever put on a Little League uniform has dreamed of being in the seventh game of the World Series. I can't wait. And I was thinking – Oh, man, you know, because as a rookie, I'm making 16000 a year. If we win the World Series, I might make another $10,000. So. <laughs> I appreciate the walk down memory lane. Doug Flynn, part of that 75. Big red machine. They've got the lead one to nothing after one. Moving ahead to further action, though, we got to tell you, the Cardinals jumped right out in the top of the second inning after a Jim Edmonds bounce out and a Scott Rowland fly out. Juan Encarnacion singling the deep short. That one-hop astroturf bounce throw from Concepcion did not get Encarnacion. Ronnie Belliard, of all people, then a bloop double in a right center, took a high hop on that AstroTurf, made it second and third. And Yadier Molina shaking off that collision with Pete Rose, the two-RBI single roped in a right center. And he was pretty happy when he got to first base. Chris Carpenter would then ground out to end the inning. It stayed 2-1 to one until the top of the fifth when the Cardinals got to it again. With two outs against Clay Kirby, you had uh, a single from Encarnacion to set up Preston, excuse me, a single from a David Eckstein at the top of the order. That would set up Preston Wilson, who blasted off to left center. A ball that didn't get out by much, but it did get out. That forced Clay Kirby from the game. Clay Carroll would come on soon after. The Cincinnati Reds trailing at home, 4-1 to at that point, to the 2006 Albert Pujols-led St. Louis Cardinals. You figured the Reds would come back, though, and they did exactly that. In the bottom of the sixth inning, after bench flied out, George Foster, another single. Tony Perez doubled him along to third. Ken Griffey with a walk to load him up. And then Concepcion, a fly ball to regular depth center field. Jim Edmonds actually had a play at the plate, but didn't get it there in time. Sack fly to make it 4-2. to two. Geronimo then flied out. So, could have been a little bit more. They settled for one run to cut it to a 4-2 ball game. Bottom of the seventh, though, that's when the Reds really went to work. It was Pete Rose with a one-out single. Joe Morgan, ground rule double to right. Johnny Bench striking out for the second time in the game. Two out in the inning. But Foster coming through. He blasted one up the middle. Two runs scoring on that base hit to tie it up 4-4. Josh Hancock was summoned from the bullpen. Immediately gave up another hit. That to Tony Perez. But Ken Griffey then bounced out. Second to first. A 4-4 game going to the top of the eighth inning. And in the eighth, with Will McEnany warming in the bullpen, they didn't want to go get the lefty quite yet, 
Clay Carroll still out there. And Albert Pujols just demolished one down the left field line. A no doubt about it shot off Clay Carroll. So the Cardinals back on top, 5-4. to four. Bottom of the eighth, and here's where you figure maybe the Reds can start getting back in at 8-9-1 in the order due up, starting with Davey Concepcion. Who looks at a strike? It's nothing in one. Concepcion, a 274 hitter. And part of the Reds' strength up the middle. The Reds currently in a run where four straight years, their center fielder, second baseman, and shortstop all win gold gloves every season. Pitch to him is low from Hancock, one and one. Hancock, young guy with a three and three record, 4.09 ERA. And David Concepcion. You know, by 1978, he'll actually nudge above a 300 batting average for that season. He made himself into a nice hitter. 19-year Major League career. Every single one of them as a Red. Now the pitch. It is stroked in a left. That's down for a base hit. Up and over David Eckstein. With five foot six, Didn't even try to get up and get that one. So Concepcion, a threat to steal. 33 bags this year. Second on the team behind Joe Morgan, who basically had double that. Here is Cesar Geronimo, left-hand batter. And maybe you don't run with Concepcion just to give Geronimo that right side of the infield. Reds have had a tough time in this one, hitting with runners in scoring position. That's not a usual happenstance for them in 75. Pitch is ladled in for a strike, nothing in one. Geronimo wearing number 20. And like Joe Morgan, formerly of the Astros down in Houston. Gold glove center fielder. Maybe the easiest out in this lineup. Pitch tombs outside. It's one and one. Geronimo, the 3,000th career strikeout victim of both Nolan Ryan and Bob Gibson. Here's the kick. Here's the pitch. Fly ball right field. Not deep. Will not get the runner over. That's a poor at bat. One Encarnacion with the catch near the line. And there's one out now in this bottom of the eighth inning. Five to four. The 06 Cardinals still have the lead. Number nine spot in the order. Dan Dreesen has grabbed the bat. He's going to pinch hit. Pinch hit for the lefty, Will McEnany. Dreesen, a 23-year-old lefty, hit 281 this year. And a little surprising that Larusa, the matchup master, is staying with Hancock. He's got the lefty Flores in the bullpen, but maybe saving him for Joe Morgan if it gets that far this inning. Dan Dreesen, a tremendous defender, but Tony Perez, the Reds' first baseman these days, not about to take a seat for a 23-year-old. Dreesen, a South Carolina native, Hardyville High School. He didn't have a baseball team, so he had to make a name for himself with the town team, the Hardyville Bull Weevils. And their coach... Wrote to Major League teams touting his player, Dan Dreesen, who was a catcher then. The Braves passed on him, but the Reds said, yeah, why not? Offered him a contract, and here he is. Pitch to him is low, 1-0. One on, one out. Dan Dreesen will play 10 years in Cincinnati. Then get with Montreal, San Francisco, Houston, and eventually these Cardinals in 87. Actually got 14 at-bats in the 87 World Series against the Twins. Here's a pitch from Hancock. High fly ball, deep in the center field. 
Jim Edmonds going back, back, back. He reaches up and makes the catch. Oh, what a play by Jim Edmonds. Hustling back to first base. I mean, darting back there now is Concepcion. He was convinced that ball was going to get up and over Edmonds. That would have been a run-scoring base hit to tie the game. But Jim Edmonds, a very fine running play. And now two down. Again, the Reds just can't move these runners. But here's Pete Rose, a guy with a knack for getting it done. You know, on the day that Pete Rose's wife divorced him, he went out and went five for five. That is Pete Rose, who takes high. It's ball one. Here in 1975, on his way to those record-setting number of hits, 4,256 eventually, but the number of note was always 4,192. That's what it took to break Ty Cobb's record. And everything was set up for him to pass Cobb when the Reds got back from a road trip in Chicago, September of 85. Rose eyeballs a strike on the outside edge, one and one. Well, a couple days out, he was a couple hits behind, and his player manager then, Pete Rose, inserted himself into the lineup when the Cubs scratched scheduled starter Steve Trout, who had hurt himself bicycling the day before. Cubs started rookie Reggie Patterson. Pete Rose went out, went two for his first two off him. And all those hometown Cincinnati fans who had bought tickets to the upcoming homestand, they were going nuts. Rose's final at bat in Chicago, he had a, a scorching line drive, but Sean Dunstan grabbed it at short. So Rose held at 41-91, got 41-92 back home against Eric Schau. With two out, pitch on the way. Sharp ground ball, but there's Pujols at first base. Got it with the backhand. He'll go over, touch up before Rose can sprint down the line. The inning is over. Boy, they had the leadoff man on. The Reds could not score. 5-4, let's go to the ninth inning, and we'll tell you that the Cardinals were able to hang on. They actually threatened in the top of the ninth. Could not add to the lead. Jason Isringhausen had to pitch in and out of some traffic. A 26-pitch bottom of the ninth. He walked a couple batters, but Ken Griffey bounced out to end it. Bounced out to Eckstein, matter of fact. So we have maybe our biggest upset of the tournament so far. A one seed has been eliminated. The 75 Reds, who went 64-19 at home in the 75 season, won a World Series. They get bounced by an 83-win nine seed. The 06 St. Louis Cardinals are moving on. The final line score in this one, it was five runs, ten hits, no errors for the Tony La Russa's, four 11-0 for the Sparky Andersons, who are eliminated, although the, the 76 Reds are still quite alive in this tournament, we do point out. Next for the 06 Cardinals, though, they, having already dispatched the, the 96 Braves and 75 Reds, they'll get the winner of next week's matchup, the number four-seeded 91 Minnesota Twins will be taking on the number five-seed, the 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks. So congratulations to the upstart 06 Cardinals. They move on in our throwback league, throwback league 2020. We, we don't know if there's going to be a 21, 22, or 23, but hopefully you're enjoying what you've heard so far. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that yet. Leave us a nice review if you'd be so kind. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell any baseball fan you can think of. We look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget you can follow the league on Twitter at the Throwback LG, short for league, and the website, of course, with all the box scores handy for you. That's the throwbackleague.com. This is Josh Lewin. Once again, the final from Riverfront here tonight. It was the 06 Cardinals 5.
the 75 Reds, four.